Hey everybody, Garrett Booth here, pastor at Grace Houston. Just want to say thank you to everybody there at Fellowship Church and Pastor Sean and Diana, and just uh, uh, tell you guys thanks for reaching out to us so quickly, for praying for us and supporting us. And it means so much that you guys are there for us and you guys are helping us. Our church was flooded. You stepped in to help us immediately so we can get back going and get out in the community. Of course, there's a huge job to do, but you're a part of it. And I just want to stop for a moment, say thank you to you. Please keep praying for us. Thanks for your support. We believe God's going to do great things. And we appreciate you. Fellowship Church, Pastor Sean and Diana, thank you guys for jumping in so fast and committing to being a difference maker here in the city of Houston. We've already seen so many lives change because you guys are given. And though the sun is out right now, it is hot, it is humid because of all the water that we've got. And even though the sun's out, the storm's far from over because right now what we're dealing with is a timed release of reservoirs and bayous around the city. People who don't think they're, they're gonna get flooded, um, they're getting flooded. And this is gonna happen for the next 30 days. Adam Rust is an usher at our church, and now he's running a fleet of airboats. In fact, he's got six boats going today, and they're out rescuing people, and they've gone from Houston all the way down to the port. Whenever I talked to Adam on Monday, I said, tell you what, Hope City's gonna come alongside you. We're gonna give you $5,000 to gas the boats, and it's been unbelievable to hear the stories. In fact, there was a, a guy who was a paraplegic. There was no way that he was gonna get out of his house. He was covered in some of, some of the debris that had kind of floated around his house, and Adam and the guys went in and got him out and took him to higher ground and got him into a shelter. My favorite part about this whole thing is people who don't believe in Christ being rescued by Christians. We're literally holding out our hands, picking them up, and saving their lives. And we're watching people give their lives to Jesus in rescue boats. Nothing shows the heart of God more than what Zach did for a lady in Kingwood, just northeast of the city. Zach is in a boat and he looks out across and he sees a lady and she's just zipping down through the water and hitting trees and she finally grabs on. And as Zach thinks really fast, ties a rope around his waist and dives into the water. He grabs her, says, you're gonna be all right and swims her back to dry land. She can't stop crying. We didn't even get her name. Zach is a volunteer at a church. It's when ordinary people, ordinary people of God say, we will not go quietly into this storm. We will not sit silently. We will jump into the waters and we will put ourselves at peril to save lives because that's what we do. That's what we do as a church. And that's what you've done for us. You've thrown us a lifeline, so thank you. We appreciate it. We don't know what to do right now other than just keep doing what we're doing. Pull people out of the water and, and, and get their feet on solid, safe ground. Keep praying for us. We love you and we thank God for you. You are affecting people's lives in the state of Texas. Over 500 people have been rescued. And uh, a large part of that is because people like you just said, you know what, we're going to give. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God, what, what's the amount? And you can text that in at the very end of service today, or you can give a little extra in the offering, and we'll make sure that that gets there. What I love about giving to these churches is that I know 100% of it is going to the need. You know, some, some organizations you give to, and give to whatever organization you want to, but some they'll take 50 cents off the dollar and they keep that for administration costs and all that stuff. I know 100% of the money we give is going to need, you know, as it's gassing at the boats, it's, it's buying supplies for people who've lost everything. And uh, we just want to be there for these people who have been so devastated because uh, I believe that this is an incredible time to be light in darkness. Amen, everybody. 
All right, well, grab your notes out, grab your pins. We're going to jump into a standalone message today. It's an interesting Sunday because we are not really in the summer anymore, but we're not yet in the fall. It's kind of that fall in between sermon. And I like to take this Sunday typically and talk to you a little bit about what we do as a church and why we do it. It's some of the stuff you hear me say. I say it every Sunday, every week, every single time. And today I want to talk to you literally about the four things that we do. So open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, or look in your notes, Ephesians chapter 1, and Paul is writing, who was a Christian hater. So if you've ever not liked Christians, you wouldn't be the first one. Matter of fact, a lot of people didn't like Christians. Paul didn't like them. And he, he became one, and he would go on to become the greatest missionary this world's ever known. And because of his faith in Jesus, he was thrown in prison, he was beaten with rods, he was stoned, he was whipped, he was, I mean, <clears throat> ended up giving his very life for, uh, for the gospel. And so this is the guy, so committed to Christ, who writes in Ephesians 1, 16, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Like when I think about other people, I, I, I just get so grateful. He says, remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Underline that phrase, that you can know him better. Somebody shout better. I pray that the eyes of your heart, underline the eyes of your heart, may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, underline the word hope, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I want to preach a message today entitled, I need you to see it. I need you to see it. Could you help me communicate the title of the message to the person sitting next to you, even if you don't know them? Turn and just tell them, I need you to see it. I need you to see it. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for your amazing grace, that you're a God of love, and we thank you that love has a name. Jesus, you are love to us, and you have shown us what extravagant, sacrificial love looks like by giving your life for the world. And I pray that over the next few moments that we'd be motivated to know you better and to take some practical steps to enter into a proper relationship with you and others. We love you, we love you, we love you. In Jesus' name. Somebody say a good, strong amen. amen. A few years ago, there was this crazy art that was going around. Maybe you probably have seen this. It's like the psychedelic picture, but then if you look closer, there's like a 3D picture within the picture. Come on, how many remember that? It was really weird at first, like psychedelic colors and all that stuff going on. I'll never forget the first time I saw it. I was in San Francisco walking down the street. And this guy grabbed me. He was like, you got to see this picture. I'm like, what are you talking about? I just see a bunch of colors. He says, no, no, no. There's a secret picture in the picture. And I'm like, San Francisco. You know, it's, it, sometimes I'm not sure, right? So he says, you got to, you, do you see it? And I'm like, I don't see it. He says, no, no, you got to stare at it. So I stare at it. And I'm like, I don't see it. He's like, no, 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 no. You got to look through the picture. I'm looking through the picture. I'm like, I don't see it. And he's like, no, no, you got to cross your eyes. I'm like, I don't see it. And then all of a sudden, I saw it. I saw it. If you, if you ever remember seeing it for the first time, I saw it. And I was like, ah, 
I see it, I see it. I see this, this sunken ship. I see the buried treasure. I see the little snorkeler guy. I see a shark going around. And when I saw it, I got so excited, I wanted everybody else to see it. Now I'm grabbing people on the side of the street. You got to see this picture. Come over here and see this picture. Look, look at the picture. No, no, no. Look through the picture. No, cross your eyes and look at the picture. I was so excited that I saw it. I wanted everybody else to see it. Now, here's the thing. I didn't see it at first glance. But here's what I've come to realize. What wasn't clear at first glance became visible as I looked a little closer with God intent. Like, in life, what's not really clear at first. Some people are like, what's life about? And they, they look at each other and they give these answers out there, but they don't really know. But I've found that you can find out what life is all about if you just pause. You look a little closer with a God intent that you can see purpose. You can see what life is really all about. And Paul is writing to the people of Ephesus and to all of us today, and he's telling us something. He's giving us some blues clues so that we can know what God's called us to do. That you don't have to be on this planet and not know. Come on, how many want to live a life of intentionality? going to live a life of purpose? Come on. We don't want to just go through life, live, work, sleep, eat, and die, and then on your deathbed, you're like, hey, what was life all about? I don't know. We just kind of had a little fun and a lot of pain. Like, that's not what life is all about. I'm praying for you, Paul said. And literally, you need to know this as a church. I pray for you. I'm praying for you every single day. I'm praying this prayer, I'm praying that God would protect you and I'm praying God would open up your eyes because here's what I know. Clarity is a gift. To see purpose, to see clarity, oh my goodness, it makes the world of difference. The moment where you say, I see it. Like I know God and now I know where I fit in God's purpose. That's a gift, everybody. We want to help you find that out. It's not that difficult as we make it seem. But for some of you, you're at different stages, and that's what makes our church great. Some of you, you know, you know God already. You know Jesus. But now he's saying, Paul said, I'm praying that you know him better. Like your next step is to know him better. Other people, there's some things in your heart that God wants to heal. Because your heart is like a filter. It doesn't matter what has happened to you, good or bad. It's a filter, and it affects how you see things, and it affects what you see. For some people, they're unable and incapable of seeing good in the world or in other people or in life because they've been so affected by their past, their pain, the wounds, and now they can't see anything because that has filtered what they see. And God comes along and says, I want to heal your heart. I want to get the pollution out. I want to get it to a place where you're not struggling to see clearly, but you can actually see through the problem and the pain and see purpose. Anybody ever driven before with, like, bad windshield wipers? Come on. How many have ever gotten to the place where, like, your windshield wipers are so bad, it's metal on glass? And you're like, I think I can make it one more season. You know what I'm saying? Like, pulling over into, a, 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 like, an auto parts store, and then you have to, like, take it off. I don't even know how to change those properly. I, I feel kind of bad confessing that as a man. I just lost a lot of respect. All the guys are like, you, you're kidding me, right? No, Diana changes the windshield wipers. Glory to God. So it's like you have, the you have the metal on glass, and it's going through the motions. It's just ineffective. Oh, yeah, that's good. There are a lot of people trying to clear their heart up, 
They're going through the motions, but it is ineffective. Ladies and gentlemen, how many thank God that He's the only one who can clear the issues of our heart away? Amen, everybody. And when you, there's nothing like new windshield wipers. The rain comes, it's like, it doesn't even make any noise. It's like, Old windshield wipers are squeaky, and there's lines across. I can't stand the lines on the windshield wipers, but brand new windshield wipers are so smooth, and everything is clear. It removes the smudge. It removes the pollution. It removes the ice or whatever's on your windshield so that you can see through to where you're going. A lot of people don't know where they're going. It's like driving through in a car where the windshield's all you know, blocked by, by this junk or ice or rain or dirt, and you're just, you're kind of driving by faith. <laughs> you know, you can't see where you're going. I want to tell you today, you don't have to drive that way in life. Come on, I said, you don't have to drive that way in life. God can make your crooked path straight, and he can clear the issues of your heart up so that you can see, so that you can know the hope of his calling. He's praying that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Now, the eye, you see not with your eyes but with your heart because that affects everything that you do in life. There's really two great days in your life. The day you were born, that was a great day, and then the day that you've realized and found out why you were born. Like when that day happens, that's a great day. And then he says this, I want you to see the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, like in God's holy people. So check this out. In this one verse, we have the four things that we do. It's found in several different places of the Bible. But this is another way to say it. God is saying, I have some things for you. I want you to know me better. I want to clear up the issues of your heart. And then I want you to discover some purpose. I want you to know why you're here on planet Earth. And then you're going you're to find out how to use your gifts and use your life and the hope of that calling to reach people. Now notice you can't do that alone. This doesn't happen by you sitting on your couch. This happens in his holy people, in the saints, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And there's a spiritual progression here. I gave you that verse in the message paraphrase so you can read that later. It's in your notes, but we won't read it now. But I do want to direct your attention to the fact that there is a progression to these stages. And as a pastor, I'm trying to get you to eat a little bit over here and then a little bit over here and then, and then try this over here. Think of it almost as like a four-course meal. How many just love four-course meals? Just like the more courses, there's four courses? I'll take five if you have them. I'll count the bread as a course. Come on, somebody. Carbs, <laughs> glorious carbs. So the first one is the appetizer, and then you eat that. And then they bring the salad or the soup. That's the starter. And then there's the entree, and you're like, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not vegan. And then, and then there's the dessert, the fun part. Now, here's what I do. Anybody like me, you just love dessert? Anybody love dessert? Okay, how many chocolate fans in the house? Any chocolate fans? Oh, thank God for chocolate. How many, like, cobbler fans? You like all the fruity stuff? That's my wife. Okay. So when we go out to eat, I literally will say this. I'll say, hey, can I see the menu? And um, they bring the menu. And I'm like, no, no, no. I want to see the dessert menu. Because I need to budget my stomach to... Because I just need to know. Like, if the dessert is amazing, I need to, I need to stop at this level on, the, on round three so I can actually have fun in round four. I want you to think of these stages, these steps, like the four-course meal. And identify where you are on this progression. And then here's all I'm going to ask you to do today, okay? 
And I'd like you to commit this to the Lord. Not to me, but to the Lord. I'm going to take the next step. Wherever I am in the progression, just commit to the Lord. Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to commit to you to take the next step. Whatever that may be, whatever it may look like, I want to commit to the next step. If that's, if that's your heart, say a good amen. amen. Okay, God heard you. Don't be lying in church. <laughs> number one, number one, we want you to know God. We want you to know Him. I don't know what you know about Him, but it's not knowing about someone. It's knowing Him. Like, you know this guy's last name, LeBron. You know his name. What team does he play for? The Cavs, right? Cleveland. Um, what team did he lose to last year? So you know about him. Okay, let me ask you a question. Who has a cell phone number? None of y'all. How many have ever had a conversation with him? You know about him, but you don't know him. There's a lot of people who grow up in church, and they know a lot about God, but they don't have relationship with him. They know about him. They've seen songs about him. They, they've heard stories about him, but they don't have that personal relationship with him. I want to encourage you because Jesus addresses this issue in Matthew chapter 7. He says, not everybody who says to me, hey, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one, only the one, only the one, only the one. <laughs> Did you catch the emphasis? <laughs> only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? Did we not perform any miracles in your name? And 23 is a very scary verse. It says, then I will turn and tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me the word know is gnosko that's the greek word to know it's not it doesn't mean to know about it means relationship so th there's a lot of possibilities that people can grow up in a church and not have a relationship with jesus and when we get to heaven it's not going to be about you know like we didn't we don't get to heaven because we know about god it's because we have relationship with jesus christ We've made him Lord. We've, we've said, God, forgive me from my past. Oh, I choose to follow you. Man, everything I am is for you now. I trust in you alone for salvation. I receive your amazing grace. Come on, help me thank God for his amazing grace. Amen. But the sad part is there will be some people who think that they get there by, by what they do. And it's just not true. Grace is a gift, but you have to receive it. So he comes along. He's like, hey, listen, apart from me, Depart from me because I never gnosked you. We didn't have relationship. How do we know that we know him? There's a great verse tucked in 1 John chapter 2. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Like if, we, if we're in relationship. Now, don't read that the wrong way. Don't read that like, hey, if you know, if you know God, you what he said. That's not what he's saying. That's not the context. The context is, hey, if you, if you really know God, you're going to do what he says. Because you want to. Like, there's been something of a change that's happened on the inside of your life. God has forgiven you. He's given you hope. He's given you healing. And now everything that we do in life turns around and says, God, I want to give everything back to you. Follow you because I know your ways are good. You're just, you're holy, you're true. Come on, is there anybody thankful that God's ways are true? So we turn around and if we know him, we're going to do what he says. We're going to follow his commands. Now, one of the commands in the Bible 
for those who know God is, write this down, here's an action step. Okay, we'll give you four steps and then four action steps. First one is we want you to know God. We want you to know the love of God. We want you to figure out how much God loves you, and I don't think we could ever truly comprehend that. But once you've given your life to Jesus, placed your faith in him for salvation alone, the next step is be water baptized. To be water baptized. Baptism is a great identification factor. It's like you go down into some water, you come out of the water, and you're like, what's the big deal? I've been in a swimming pool before. It's different because of what it represents. It's like, it's like that moment of, of a husband seeing his, his, his fiancé, or you know, before they get married, his fiancé for a million times, but there's nothing like wedding day. I love looking at the husband's face. You know, the, the groom, uh, groom is here, and I'm doing the mar- wedding, and the woman comes in. She's plat, plat out. Room is just makeup, dress. Everybody's like, what? And the, the husband, he's seen her a million times, but never like that on that day. Some of you husbands need to go back and remember the love that you had for your wife when you first saw her. And you're like, <laughs> I mean, grown, strong men. I turn around, I look at her, and I immediately look at him like, what's he going to do? And inevitably, they all just, <laughs> ugly cry. I always turn around like, she's beautiful. I start crying. And then they make a holy covenant. I'm telling you, your relationship with God, you start off with a holy covenant. God, I'm, I'm making this covenant with you. You've made it with me. And then I'm going to go public with this. We're not having some private wedding. I want everybody to know I'm a follower of Jesus. That's what baptism is. You go into the water and you identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. We die to our old life and the water is like a watery grave. When we come out of that water, like God gives us a brand new life. It is a beautiful picture of what God has done in our heart. Some people think, well, I was baptized as a kid. That's great for your parents. You don't remember it. 27 times in the, in the New Testament, there's, there's baptism that we see examples of. Every single one of them was post-decision. Like they made a decision to follow Christ, and then they were baptized. And uh, here's Acts chapter 2, verse 41. The Bible says, those who accepted his message were baptized. So if we accept the message of Jesus Christ, we will be baptized because it's a command, not a suggestion. And about 3,000 people were added to the church that day. So if you really want to know God, we're going to take the steps that he's laid out for us. That's very clear. Now, I don't want to say too much, but um, you might want to bring a towel next Sunday. All right, number two, we want you to know God. And primarily that happens on Sundays. So Sundays can't just be about the believer, by the way. It has to be about those who aren't even here yet. That's why our doors are so wide open to everybody and whosoever would want to come. And whoever walks through those doors gets the same treatment. We're going to love them and point them to freedom in Christ. I should have heard a better amen. Amen. Number two, we want you to find freedom. Find freedom. This is where the eyes of your heart are enlightened. God wants to deal with the heart issues. Now, it's the place where you know God, but how many know you can be saved and still have issues? Turn and tell somebody, I got some issues. Turn and tell the other person, I got some major issues. For a long time, it was almost insinuated that you had to come to church and pretend you didn't. Wear your Sunday best. Shh. You could have fought the entire way to church. 
spanking kids on the back seat, yelling at your spouse, and you walk through the doors of the church and people are like, hey, how are you doing this morning? I'm blessed and highly favored. How are you? <laughs> Glory to God. Lying through those pearly bars called teeth. I've dreamt of a church where we could just be real. Yes, we have issues, but we're going to work these out together. Take the mask off to somebody. Not everybody. To a small group of people. Like, hey, I'm going to take this mask off. Don't run. But I need you to know what's on the other side of the mask. Like, I got some issues. Could you walk through this with me? Can we do this together. I don't want to pretend the entire life that I have it all together when I don't. I want some freedom in this. You can be saved and still have issues and addictions and bitterness and unforgiveness and anger issues and all this stuff. Here's the difference. Now you have the power to change in Jesus' name. Like Everybody has issues. Even church folks have issues. And there is no perfect church. And if you find one, don't join it because you'll mess it up. Like, we all have them. But we don't use that as a license. Like, okay, we all got issues. Just grace, grace, grace. No, God wants to work those issues out. Now, listen, you cannot do these out of order. You can't fix yourself and find freedom before you come to know God. A lot of people, I've heard this growing up. I'd invite people to church. and like, man, I can't go to church. Ooh, no. The lightning would strike that place. I'm like, listen, I know it's scary. But you can't fix yourself before you come to God. We come to God with all of our issues, with all of our sin, with all of our struggles and all of our pain. He is the only one who can resurrect us to a new life and bring hope and healing and forgiveness. We've got to take these steps in the right order. I want you to know God. And then he's going to work out some issues in our heart. And why it's so important to work the issues out in our heart is because Proverbs 4.23 Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. If we don't work these heart issues out, it affects everything that you do. Your relationships, your thought life, your view of yourself, your view of God, your involvement. You cannot discover, and actually you can't even do the next two steps if you don't find freedom in your heart. You've got to find a freedom in Jesus Christ. James says it this way, because you're like, well, how do I find freedom? God's solution is extremely clear. If you want forgiveness, you go to God. 1 John 1.9 says, confess your faults and your sins to Jesus. He says he'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Thank you, God. But if you want healing, James 5.16 says, confess your sins one to another and, and then pray for each other and you will be shouted out. Come on, shout out that word. You want healing? You need a small group of people that you can confess to, that you can do life together with. Instead of pretending that you don't have issues, it'd be like you driving up to a mechanic and your car is broke down. Hey, how can I help you? Help me. My car's good. Leaking oil all over the place. I mean, just, it's, you need some people. I remember getting gas one time and um, this car pulled up, a Mercedes Benz. No, it was a Jaguar, Jaguar, really nice Jag. And the guy was pumped. He looked like he had it all together, pumping his gas. And all of a sudden, I was like, bro, 
you're leaking gas. Like, not a little bit. It was pouring out of the gap down below. He, had, he said, I just bought this car at an auction. And I had no idea. He was really grateful that there was somebody else included in that moment to point out the fact that there was a leak. Because some of us have a leak and we don't see it. We need somebody else that loves us. Now listen, you can't take a rebuke from anybody else unless you have relationship with them. Have you ever had somebody try to come up and tell you about yourself that you didn't know? How did you respond? Why, thank you, kind sir. Appreciate you so much. Nope. You were like, I don't know you. Get your hands off of me. But when you have a relationship with somebody who, who, who you know loves you, they say, hey, listen, the way you're speaking right now, the way you, you've really been struggling with anger, hey, let's just work that through. Really? I don't even see that. We all see it. You need a small group of people that you can be real with, that can call you to the mat, and that you can lift each other up with. That's the power of small groups. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. God wants us to find freedom, and there's a bunch of us walking around with issues and, and habits and addictions, and the plan is, God's plan is to get you into relationship so you can find freedom. Now, we just launched small groups. We have hundreds of them that you could choose from, and you can go to the website, tfcpeople forward slash small groups. That's tfcpeople forward slash small groups, and go shopping because they start next Sunday. So just go on one, find one that works for you, and if you're not sure which one to go through, get in a freedom group. There's like 65 groups that just focus on freedom. I want everybody to go through a small group, but listen, I just want you to be in one. And here's a testimony of somebody who went through one that changed their life. Let's check it out. Hi, my name is Hannah Estrada, and this is my story. Before fellowship, um, I was really depressed. I would always scratch myself because of the anxiety. And I was so embarrassed to go out of the house because, you know, seeing the scars, people would question me. I, I questioned God a lot. I asked him, why, why me isolating myself? Um, and I didn't want to be around other people. I hated being myself. I, I wanted to disappear and I just wasn't, I wasn't happy. I just felt so alone. September, October, I lost my grandmother and I fell into a really bad depression. There's this one night I wanted to just finish everything, you know, my life. I just passed by to Walmart and I needed a Christmas tree and you guys were selling it. So I came and Reggie, he gave me an invitation card. He said, come to the service, just try it one time. And I did. Pastor Sean talked about small group. My brother just kept going, come to freedom, come to freedom. At that time, I was just, I was desperate to connect. When I started, I was really shy. I guess they would tell you that I was like a butterfly because you can slowly see me changing, slowly smiling some more, talking some more. I actually took care of myself more. I had no idea that God is actually a forgiving God. And the people around me were always encouraging me. All of them, they became my family. When I need support, I will just text them and tell them, you know, I need I need prayers, I need love, <laughs> whatever I need, you know, they're there for me. Meeting new people, having people that actually 
cares for you and wants you to thrive and be happy and it feels really amazing where would I be without my small groups <sighs> probably not here if I'm being honest probably would have given up living life in freedom is great if you're hesitant just let God lead you you're unique and God has a story for you so go with it follow it believe come on let's give a, a round of applause everybody what an amazing story thank you small group leaders for leading the charge and leading the way she had some scars on the outside but can we be all, all be honest there's some of us that have scars on the inside and the issues of life are dealt with and freedom comes through relationships. Now, here's the tricky part. It looks like the small groups are about what their title is. The parenting is about parenting. The marriage is about marriage. Young adult is about young adults. It's not true. Every small group is about the exact same thing. It's relationship. If the excuse to gather is basketball, fantastic. Sometimes it's a Bible study. You're going to grow. You're going to get information. But I'm telling you, this is where discipleship happens. This is where we pastor people is in the context of relationship in small groups. That, my friend, should be a big plug for you to say, hey, if I haven't jumped in one yet, I'm going to jump in a small group this next week and do life together with people going the same way. Because so, some people come to church and say, man, this church, isn't the church too big already? If you're asking that question, you don't understand a couple things. First of all, number one, any church is too big if you don't know anybody. We had a lady come. She went to a church of 50 people. She said, I didn't know a soul. I didn't know anybody there. I didn't, nobody talked to me. I was alone there for like a year. I stopped going to church, ended up coming to this one. She says, I have more friends now than I ever have in my life. Why? Because she got in small groups. Amen. And here's why churches can never stop growing. Because heaven and hell are realities. Yeah, right. We will continue to add more services. We will do more extension campuses. We will do anything short of sin to reach more people with the love of God. Because we know that heaven and hell are realities. We want people to know. We want people to know God and find freedom. Amen, everybody. Amen. Growth is not an option. It's not something we get to choose. It's something that God has mandated on us to reach more people with the love of God. So we do that on Sundays, we do that in small groups. And Hebrews chapter 10 puts it this way. Hebrews 10 on the other side of your notes. Let us not, or let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people, like, like that, as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So maybe you used to be in small groups and you're like, man, I've just got busy. Uh, maybe, maybe you're thinking I haven't done that in a while. I think I'm good. It's just me and God. Read the Bible. You will very clearly understand it cannot just be you and God. He says, I want to be put God first, and then you love people. You do life with, with people, and that is the context of relationship where God brings the healing. Amen, everybody? Amen. Number three, know God. Find freedom. And then number three, discover purpose. There's got to be a place where you discover why you're here on earth. And Romans chapter 12, verse 6 puts it this way. We have different gifts. We have different gifts. According to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy according to your faith. If it's something else, do that. But 
There's different gifts to every single person, and the grace that's given, the grace that's given is the Greek word charis. The New Testament's written in Greece. It's charis. It means grace gift. It's that thing that when you do it, it energizes you. Don't try to do something that you're not called to do. You're not gifted at doing. If you think you're gifted at something, it will bear fruit. So you need some people in your life to kind of come alongside of you and confirm that, like, you don't want to be the American Idol singer who's like, my mama told me I could sing. And everybody's like, no, you can't, you know. <laughs> so if you're gifted at something, you'll actually be good at it. It will bear fruit. And when you do it, you, you don't burn out. The more you do it, the more it energizes you. Yeah. It's finding out that gift. It's finding out the calling of God. He says, I want your eyes to see this. I want your heart to know the hope of the calling of God where you say, I was made for this. And some people, you have the gift of mercy. You come in here and you're like, man, I see the person sitting by themselves. I'm just come sit by you. Like, hey, how are you? My name is Sean. Can I sit by you? You just have that gift of mercy. There's other people you never would have saw that person sitting alone. You'd have walked in and be like, man, if they just put these chairs a little straighter, we could fit more people in here. <laughs> like, it's not wrong. It's just different. You see things differently. Some people have a gift for people. Some is administration. Some is some music. Some is, is, is hosting or uh, whatever the gifts may be, craftsmanship. I mean, we have a team building out the patio right now. All people who are like handymen, they wouldn't want me leading that team. <laughs> but there are people gifted in that area. Now it's like an amazing patio where you can go visit our small group area just to sign up for small groups if you want to. Check it out on the way out today. That patio over there where the garden center used to be is now in a uh, it's like in the process of becoming a beautiful patio for people to have hangout time and begin to meet new people. Yeah. Like, find out your gift because you're all a 10 in some area. Yeah. You may not be a 10 in every area, but you're a 10 in some area, and we want to help find out where that is. First Peter chapter 4 puts it this way. God has given each of you a gift. Each of you has a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Now watch this, watch this. Use them. Yeah. Use them well to... Serve yourself. No, 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 that's not what it says. <laughs> to serve whom? One another. One another. So ask yourself this question. Am I currently using my gifts to serve other people? If not, your action step would be go through the growth track. Go through the growth track. I need four Sundays to help discover your purpose. Give me four weeks. Starts the first Sunday of every month, either 1015 or 515. And we want to help you discover your purpose, discover what makes you unique, and it's not hard, everybody. We have a system. And this is not a discipleship class. This is not to get you totally spiritually mature. It's just to get the process started where you can discover why you're here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 puts it this way. Now, about gifts of the Spirit, I don't want you to be uninformed. But the problem is too many people are uninformed when it comes to spiritual gifts. And a scary survey, check it out, everybody, listen to me. Barner Research has, has stated 87% of the body of Christ, people who go to church, claim that Jesus is their Savior, 87% of them do not know what their spiritual gift is. What if 87% of your body didn't work? Turn it around. What if the 87% of the body of Christ that didn't know found out and began to use those gifts to reach the world? What would happen to the world? What would happen to your school? What would happen to your job if we just began to realize God has gifted me in a certain particular area, and I'm going to find out what that is so I can make the biggest difference I possibly can? 
we've got to change that number. Out of 4,000 people that will come on a weekend, that would mean 3,400 people statistically don't have a clue. That's scary. Now, that's, that actually is not applicable to our church because we have so many people on the dream team, so many people serving in their gifts, so it's a little, it's a little less, but we won't be satisfied until 100% of people that come to Fellowship Church know God, find freedom, discover purpose, so you can do the ultimate thing, number four, is make a difference. We're, we're not content with you just learning information. We want you to, to know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. Now, some of you, you're going to need to find freedom before you, before you can get on the dream team. You need to go through some small groups and really let God work at the issues out of your heart. But when you go through this progression, there's going to be a day where you say, I need something to live for. And what you realize very quickly is that you don't find purpose in more money, a nicer car, a bigger house, a vacation. It doesn't come through those things. It comes by knowing why God created you and now using those gifts to serve and make a difference in somebody else's life. Jesus said it this way in John 15. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit. Okay, look at me. Look at me, everybody. A lot of us have believed a lie, and we think that all God wants is faithfulness. Okay, look at me. That's not all God wants. He wants fruitfulness. It's not just about coming to church. It's about bearing fruit, leaving a mark, changing people's lives for eternity. Jesus says, I want you to bear fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I want your joy to be complete, church. I want God's joy to be in you. I want you to go through every day saying, man, life sometimes throws some curveballs. Yes, there's some challenges, but I know why I'm here. I know why I've been created. I know how I can make a difference in eternity for the lives of so many other people. This is how we will lead you. This is how we will pastor you. Because this generation needs another group of people to stand up called the church of Jesus Christ and declare to the broken, declare to the hurting, we will not idly stand by and watch you drown. We're jumping into the river with you just like those friends in Texas are doing physically. We want to do spiritually. We want people to know God. We want them to find freedom, discover purpose, and then make a difference. Come on. God can use you. He can use you. So wherever you are in this progression, just tell God, I committed to you, God. I'm going to take the next step. The action step for this is join the dream team. Join the dream team. And it's super easy to serve here. You serve one service every three weeks. And we have a whole new service that has a lot more opportunity for new people to step in and say, I want to be an usher. I want to hold a sign in a parking lot. I want to jump in the kids team, production team. I want to jump in. I'm tired of sitting on the sidelines and watch other people live their dreams. I want to live my own dream now to touch people with the love of God. Amen. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, I'll end with this last verse. All of you together, say together. together. Come on, say together. together. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. We all do it. Listen to me, everybody. I'll end with the same statement I began with. I need you to see it. I need you to see the hope of the calling that God has for you. The church becomes really fun when you stop coming just for you. 
when you begin to see your purpose, we need to take these steps. I need you to see it. I need you to get it, go through the growth track. I need you to get on the dream team. Not because we need it, because I need you to do it. Will our church be okay if you don't do these steps? Yes. Our church is doing really well. We have an incredible dream team. 584 people serve every service. It's a lot of people. They are serving every service. You talk to them. They are the most connected people. Those serving in small groups, they're the most connected people I've ever met in any church. So the question therein lies for us, how can we get more people serving in small groups? Because those are the ones that are growing, flourishing, loving God, making a difference in people's lives. Take this step. Because this church will not function at the fullness of what God has for it until 100% of us are doing this. I want this joy to be complete in you. Amen, everybody. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want to ask you two questions. Number one, what's your next step? What's the next step for you? Is it to know God? Well, I'd like to give you an opportunity in just a moment. I'm going to lead you in a commitment prayer right where you are. Is it to find freedom, get in a small group? Awesome. Sign up today. Go shopping because they start next week. Is it to go through the growth track and discover your purpose? Awesome. That happens next service or tonight at 515. Is it to get on the dream team? Maybe you've been sitting on the sidelines for a while and you're like, man, you know what? Kind of good with just coming to church occasionally and when I need it. What about when you don't need it? What about when you think that you're doing good? You're doing well? What about when people need you and it's not, church isn't just about you needing it? That is when you begin to understand what church is about. You can worship by yourself. You can read your Bible by yourself. You can listen to great preachers online by yourself. The only thing you cannot do alone is love. And Jesus built the church. He gave his life for the church. He empowered the church. He said, I'm going to use the church to reach the world. Listen to me. You can't decapitate Jesus. Jesus is the head. The church is his body. Let's build this body to be the strongest it has ever been so that we can complete the mission and the mandate that he's given us. What's the next step? What's the next step? For those of you that say, Sean, I need to just, I need to give my life to Jesus. I want to lead you in a commitment prayer that you can pray right in your seat. Very quickly, I'm going to say this. If you're here and you say, Sean, my life isn't right with God and I need it to be. Or I strayed and I need to give my life back to God. On the count of three, lift your hand up. One, two, three. Come on, lift it up. That's me. That's me. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, pray this out with me and mean it with all of your heart. Just say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Forgive me from my sin. Wash me clean. Help me to walk on purpose in your calling. I give my life to you today and trust you alone for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's clap our hands for everybody who prayed that prayer to God.